0: Let's do it. Main Man Main Man Main Man Main Man Main Man All the people that were working for Main Man were unusual
1: We were loud, ugly Americans, basically Main Man, an interesting story, a very entertaining story, a very long, wonderful adventure
0: Hello and welcome to episode 60 in our series exploring the history of Mainman, the management rights company which was renowned in the 70s for transforming the business of rock and roll. The philosophy of Mainman's founder Tony DeFries was to allow his artists full creative freedom by providing the financial support that they needed to fulfil their artistic visions. The Mainman team pioneered outrageous and often controversial promotions and marketing techniques to generate media attention for their acts that set the benchmark for the decadence and indulgences that are now part of 70s rock folklore. We were crazy. We did all those things with makeup, with our clothes, with our outrageousness, with our not caring about what society thought and everything. We did all that. Main Man worked with a diverse range of clients that included Mick Ronson, Amanda Lear, Motha the Hoople, John Mellencamp, Dana Gillespie, Lou Reed, Mick Ralphs, Marianne Faithfull, David Bowie, and Iggy Pop.
1: The the trogs on heroin was what I imagined
0: had I come here alone. In this episode, we're continuing to hear from Mike Garson, recalling when 50 years ago, he auditioned for a band he'd never even heard of and became an extremely important part of one of the 70s greatest rock successes. At home NLA, Mike continues with his memories of the Ziggy tour from 1972 into 1973.
1: I love that tour. It was very hard work because we played it every day. And of course, the rainbow was over the top, and David had the craziest costumes. I, I even remember Marian Faithful there, and they did uh, that Sonny and Cher song together.
0: Yeah, that was I Got You, Babe. That was at the 1980 Floor Show at the Marquee Club when Marianne famously wore a nun's habit with the back cut out.
1: <laughs> and I had to play for that. And uh, just the band was so tight. And, you know, that was when David was making it this was the zeitgeist of the time it's like he did things in the 60s that didn't hit it and weren't magical and he found it with the Ziggy thing and it worked for the time the same way five years earlier or six years earlier the Beatles found a space or rap found a space in the 80s or now or or whatever you know there were certain coordinates that they all fit So my piano playing fit, the spider's look fit, David's singing fit. It might not have worked two years earlier, and it might not have worked other times in history. Just in 72, all the stars were aligned, and the coordinates were in, and you just had to show up and do the best you could do. And then you would get that extra benefit. It's 50 years, and we're still talking about Aladdin Sane and Ziggy, There's a lot of music I was playing a few weeks before I joined David and after I played with David. Nobody ever calls me on those. And I'm telling you, the music was great. In different bands I played, in fusion bands, I played with Stanley Clark, I played with Martha and the Vandellas, I played for Nancy Wilson, Mel Tomei. It's endless. I never have an interview on any of those things. And this is about the 400th interview in 50 years on... This album and this tour, you know what I mean? Of course, it's very pertinent now because it's a big year. But I mean, that is not because I played a million times better than on things before or after. I probably this morning played better, you know, it's just because I'm still practicing. So I got better. But it's not to do with your technique or the virtuosity or what even the pieces. It's, it's the fact as I'm describing, the best word is zeitgeist. You know, I don't even know what it means, but I think I know what it means. But you know what I mean? Because it's unfair for me to take that credit or David to take the credit or Spiders. It it was meant
0: to be. It wasn't just the music that was so influential, but visually, too, he broke boundaries. The number of people that began turning up to your concerts, experimenting with the way they looked and dressed.
1: Yeah, and I saw it. And I even saw people coming in a few months after that with the Aladdin Sane flash going across their face and that whole look. And the funny thing is, I've worked with Mark Ammon, I've worked with Boy George, and I know their stories. But there are people now, I'm teaching a girl, she's 16 or 17 in Israel, I'm giving her Zoom lessons, she talks to me, she knows more than I do about Bowie. And he's given her a license to survive. I'm doing a show here in L.A. with Evan Rachel Wood. She's a great actress, and she's a very good rock singer. And we got in touch a few years ago because I was doing some Bowie alumni concerts, and she told me when she was a kid she got the Aladdin Sane symbol uh, tattooed onto her thigh. And when she saw Labyrinth, it changed her whole life. Now, I hear this every day. I heard it when I toured with Billy Corgan with the Smashing Pumpkins. I heard it when I worked and recorded the Fragile album with uh, Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. I hear it from Joe Elliott. I hear it from Duran Duran. In fact, Nick and John Taylor saw me play when Mick Ronson had his tour after he lost the gig with David. I went out on tour with Mick. And Nick and, and John... That was their first concert ever. So I ended up playing on their last album because it was a total circle. You know, they've been together 40 years. So what I'm saying is David's influence, aside from all the work that I've had, because people loved my playing because of David and they wanted my contribution on the album, I have met a thousand actors, actresses, and musicians and singers that have the same story. Essentially, he said it was okay to be myself. I did something with Raw Thomas for Bowie Stream, and he, you'd never think he would be connected. He told me he does Let's Dance in his set, and he sang Heroes with me and Let's Dance. A Taylor of mumps and a young girl out here from a group called The Pretty Reckless. She did Quicksam with me. Uh, it just endless. I did a solo version of Sp- Space Oddity with Billy Corgan, a solo version of Fantastic Voyage. I haven't released any of the stuff with Trent Reznor. It's just Andrew Day, who did Billy Holiday, she sang Under Pressure with Judith Hill, who worked with Michael Jackson and, and Prince. So each one of these people have the same story that you were just alluding to. And here he's passed six years, and it's as if it's never going to go away because ultimately... All people want to have and be and do is themselves. And it's hard to do this in this fucked up society and so many autocrats and all this bullshit that's going on. So, if someone gives you that permission, that helps more than one knows. I was playing at a little place in London called the Pizza Express a few years ago. And this girl comes up to me. She said, I was just about to commit suicide and I heard your piano playing on Aladdin Satan. And I decided to live. That's heavy. It it certainly changed Huzz. It scared me to think I just thought I was entertaining, you know, (laughs) to me, you know, I was a gig, you know. I never heard that track for 15 years. I just moved on to whatever, you know. Were you
0: aware of the socio-political impact that David was making at the time or was it just his musical influences for you?
1: I was a little naive, uh, to be honest with you, but I could feel the openness of that person, David, and (laughs) it's probably more apropos now than it was then. If he was around now, the Me Too people and all those people would just love him, you know, to death, you know. And they do, the ones who know him, but I mean, that's who he was. And all the things that are occurring now, he was one of those original sparks to make that happen. Maybe the most powerful of all the artists that was, that stood for that.
0: We're talking about Ziggy because it's been 50 years since the album was released and David took his alter ego on the road and introduced him to an unsuspecting public. It's still quite amazing to a lot of people how deeply influential that music is after five decades and still very relevant.
1: The music is probably the sanest thing that we have on the planet now and probably always has been and it's healing and it it doesn't have to be new age music that heals. It it could be David Bowie for some people. It could be you too. It could be Elvis Presley. It could be Bach, and and it's probably the only thing that people don't fight about. You know, you might one like might like jazz or classical. Might like Bowie, and might, someone might like uh, you know another artist. But essentially, everyone loves music. You walk through the city or New York or whatever, and everyone has their AirPods on and they're listening and. It's sort of a savior, in, in, especially in the times that are going on now, you know, so he was absolutely part of it. And just what music stands for, especially if the intention is to bring some joy and originality, there's no better gift that we actually have on the planet as far as I'm concerned.
0: So moving on to the end of the Ziggy tour in July of 1973, what's your feeling about that period? Was that just that David was moving on quickly because he lost interest? His short attention span has sometimes been mentioned by people.
1: I don't think he has a short attention span. I don't think that's true. I think he, I think he delves into something with so much depth and he gives it all. And when that is done for him, that is done. But I don't think it's short because we have spent time together in detail on things and there's nothing uh, that's, you know, whatever ADD, whatever they call it, nothing like that. It's, it's, it's like he just zips through it with such depth and then he's done and then he moves on. And I could relate to that because... You know, my life, I go from a jazz gig to a classical composition, to a movie, to a TV, to a piano student, to a master class. And I love that. And uh, that's, again, something we had in common. And again, it looks like I have a short attention span, but again, it's not. It's you're trying to (laughs) prevent yourself from getting bored. It's that simple.
0: And it's amazing. His influence just keeps growing.
1: I think it'll outlive... Every artist, because he had the widest um, net of every artist that I've ever met. And I was talking to somebody, and this person really said something that resonated with me and I had never thought of. Because I would say 20, 30 years ago, people were interviewing me, I'd say, in 150 years, you're going to know David, but you not, might not know the Rolling Stones. You might know Dylan, you'll know the Beatles. 300 years, you're just going to know David, and you might not know some other bands. And this guy says to me, in 5,000 years, people are going to be talking about this guy. And I never had that thought. And I said, yes, that could be, you know? Like we'll talk about something from the Greek phase or something from... Uh, eastern philosophy or something that we know about uh, that happened three four five thousand years ago this could be one of those kind of characters he changed the way people think he made it safe to be yourself that's a pretty big mark plus he did it with great finesse great singing great production as handsome as they get fashion best videos best lyrics i mean there's no downside of it you know and here I am, uh, you know, a jazz piano player getting this offer. We would not have be having this interview if I hadn't played with him. I still would have played well. I played good before him. He would not have hired me if I didn't come in with the goods, but he put me on the map. And he would tease me. He'd say, "You know, you've done a lot of jazz albums and you've done this and you've done that, but your best shit is on my albums." <laughs> and I said, "You're right." You know, I give you that one. <laughs>
0: everyone involved with the Ziggy Stardust era witnessed an amazing convergence of very unique talents.
1: Yes, and, and and all those magical moments and coordinates as you said the stars they they met at that convergence and that's unusual. That's unusual. You know, it happened with Miles Davis's music in that world, it's a smaller world, but it happened it happened for John Coltrane and it's happened in certain parts in history, you know, where Like with Bach, it happened, you know. But he had a gig playing for the church, so he had music to write for every Sunday, you know. So it happened there. We could probably find, you know, Michelangelo, you know, Da Vinci. There were probably these moments, and it just... I'm still humbled by it, I have to say that, that I had a small contribution, because I was really like just the whipped cream on the cake. I wasn't the... I wasn't the sponge cake. I wasn't, you know, I was just a topping. But it was a topping that gave him more, I don't know, a space. It opened up his music. It wasn't just a rock band now. It, it what This guy is doing something else. And he's bringing someone who's bringing the whole jazz and classical world and putting it on top of his music. For him to see that and know that, that in itself, I've said this many times, but he was the best and ultimate casting director because he never had a bad musician in his band. He changed musicians, but any, and he came around to people. There were times Tony Visconti was not with him. There were many years I wasn't with him. But Mick wasn't with him. Then it comes around again because he would go back to his people that he felt made the best contribution. I'll never forget when we did the Outside album, and this is 20 some odd years after what we're talking about today, he said to me, the 80s were rough for me and the record companies put pressure on me and I lost my way. I'm going back to the people who influenced me the most and I'm starting with you and Brian Eno and Reeves Gabrels and Carlos Alomar and Sterling Campbell. And, and then we went and made that improvised album. But uh, so so those albums won't be fully recognized for another 50 years because people will start searching other part of his works because he wrote and sang in some ways even better in the 90s and the 2000s his voice got actually richer but people are happy enough for Ziggy stuff so let them enjoy that and let this period be a tribute to that so many years later and then 10 20 years they'll be talking about something else that he did you know
0: so we get to the final concert at a Hammersmith Odeon on July the 3rd 73 what are your memories of that night I remember Jeff Beck he
1: said he didn't like his performance and he didn't like his shoes or something so he never let us use it some very but he sounded great Mick sounded great I think we did round and round together uh I, I was shocked for poor uh, Woody and Trevor and Mick because I knew the game was over and I knew I was going to be continuing. So that was not a happy moment. But the show itself was fantastic. The audience went into shock when they heard what he said at the end. But right before we went on stage, I was David's guinea pig. He did this uh, to me a few times through the years. And he said, go out there and we knew Streisand was in the audience and everybody else. <laughs> you know, Paul was there and, 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 and Mick and everybody was there. And he said, go out and open the show like an overture and play Ziggy and Changes and Life on Mars and John I'm Dancing. Just do it like it's an, uh, an overture and do it your own way. And he was nervous for me. And I went out and did it. And I remember thinking, well, I like Streisand. Let me do a nice version of Life on Mars while I'm playing this thing. Maybe she'll record it. And which she did. So that intention worked. And uh, But how many people would be so gracious to let a fucking piano player go out there and open a show that's one of his most important shows? It's never been released in the whatever you hear on youtube or i had as a cassette at the time and uh, i always wonder if there was a, a good recording of it but it was very uh thrilling and rewarding for me to do that and then do the show with him so i have only great memories about that show i mean david being a fantastic showman and enjoying creating wild effects on people certainly created a wild effect because you could the audience I just hear in my head oh, No, that can't be. It's over, we're just warming up, you know, and he's shutting it down.
0: <laughs> you mentioned the possibility of a better quality version of the recording of that introduction that night, so here it is. This is a recording by Robin Mayhew, part of the ground control production team on the Ziggy Tours, taken straight out of the mixing desk, recorded onto a cassette deck at the time. He then transferred to Reel to Reel in 1976 and then onto a CD in 2008. Here is Barry Bethel's introduction to Mike Garson's medley. Mike, thanks for your time. Well, thanks a million. Good to talk to
1: you, man. Ladies and gentlemen, there are two minutes to showtime. Two minutes. During
0: the course of rehearsals, Mike Garson, who is the pianist with the spiders, played an arrangement of his own of four of David Bowie's numbers. Those numbers were Space Oddity, Ziggy, John I'm Only Dancing, and Life on Mars, which incidentally is number four today. David Bowie, ladies and gentlemen, was so knocked out with Mike's arrangements of these numbers, he thought you
1: might like to hear them. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome from New York, Mike Garson.
0: Mike Garson recording those amazing years when he was part of the Ziggy phenomena. There are some great pieces of memorabilia from the Ziggy era on the Mainman Label website, along with a huge collection of other historic documents, including articles, telexes, letters, and production notes, many of them never seen before, that we're adding to the Mainman Label website each week. It's a great record of a very exciting period in rock history. That's at MainmanLabel.com. And on the website, you can also check out the other episodes in the Mainman series. I'm Des Shaw. This is Zinc Media, MM Tech Production. Thanks for listening.